0: It is hot. All right. If you find your seats, find your seats. I want to get started this morning. Welcome. Welcome to the Movement Church. If you're just joining us online or in person, uh, my name is Christopher, one of the pastors here. And uh, it's good to see your faces. The lights are on. Um, see some new faces. Welcome. Welcome. We, uh, like we did in the beginning, we proclaim the gospel through song, and then we proclaim the gospel through word, and uh, that is why we teach the scriptures. And uh, this morning um, is is no different. The topic at hand this morning is uh, was something that was not planned. Uh, so let me unpack the context of what we're talking about today. If you're taking notes, I would love for you, in fact, to take notes. We don't pass out the bulletins. So we have a QR code trying to save paper and all that stuff. But we encourage you. If you have a phone, which you probably do, take the notes for this message. I'm going to want you to engage and uh, whether you're taking photos of the slides or such uh, to be able just to see what the Lord is saying. But if you're having notes, the title is The War We Don't See. The War We Don't See. The War We Don't See. And here's some context around why, what are we talking about and why this morning. Because this morning is supposed to be about Be Generous which is still happening. We're gonna talk about the end of service and uh, next week we'll be moved to that message. Um, But let me just give you just a snapshot of what's going on behind the scenes. Right now in our church, uh, there are a lot of puzzling things going on that seem to all be taking place at the same time. Puzzling maybe isn't the best word to say. Uh, Puzzling, I would say challenging, challenging, difficult, difficult, Uh, Whatever you want to use, there are a lot of things going on in our church. Um, And for our size of a church, maybe 150 folks, give or take, around there that are all part of the body, Uh, there are always things going on in our church. There are always things going on in our lives. But this seems puzzling because it seems unusual with the amount and what is happening and and the timing. So let me give you a brief picture of a a few of the long list of things and uh, there's, this is probably put into to groupings because there are a lot of things underneath each one. Right now, there are people in our church that uh, are questioning their faith in God, not in the sense of like, oh, I have some doubt, but like, I don't know if I believe in God anymore, wanting to turn back on believing. Uh, there's people that are desiring to go back to sinful patterns Uh, We're not talking about just sinning like I had a pattern that was bad drugs or sex or this or that, and I want to—I just forget Jesus. I want to go back to that. It's calling on them. It's pulling on them in an unusually strong way right now. Uh, There are people experiencing unusual relational strife, conflict, uh, stuff that is going on lodged in our spirits and in our minds against people that really isn't even an issue, but it's becoming an issue. Uh, People are having physical ailments and attacks on their body, People's security and peace being threatened financially and jobs, uh, even mental peace. People wanting to eject and isolate themselves. People not wanting to be around community, not wanting to come to groups, not wanting to do things. And and when I say this, uh, isolate themselves as in like, I I don't want to just like not go to an event. I want to walk away from being around people because it's uncomfortable. And then lastly, people believing lies and questioning their identity in Jesus. Someone say, that's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. And uh, that's a few of the things that are happening. Uh, me, Pastor Owen, and I, this past Friday, spent some time in my office, and we wrote out as much as we can remember <laughs> had happened in the last couple of weeks. There's a lot of things happening. We wrote out 27 or 28 specific things with specific people that we could just remember. Um, and then we prayed over everyone, and it was heavy. And it's a lot of things going on. This is... This is something uh, that is puzzling because it's all happening at the same time at an extent uh, at a level that is unusual. And the questions that we are asking around the table and I'm asking, it is uh, really simple questions. What in the world is going on? <laughs> what in the, like, what in the, does someone like poison the water in Oakland? What's going on? What is happening? What is causing all of this? And why is this happening? What's going on? If I saw one or two of those, I mean some of them are very normal in this Christian life, I, I don't I wouldn't blink an eye because I'm used to those kind of things. I'm not used to all of it happening in our church at the same time in unusual ways. And here's just some things, some responses that maybe that this common folks would say as an answer to what's going on. Number one. Maybe someone, maybe you would say, there's nothing going on. That's not unusual at all. <laughs> that's normal, Chris. What are you talking about? All that stuff. Seems like a normal slice in my life, all the hard things. Someone might say, it's nothing unusual. Someone else might say, no, that's, that's just, yeah, we, we live in a broken world, Chris. It's sin, and, and that's what's going on. We just Things are broken, and, and that's what happens when things are broken, which I can agree with. Someone else, maybe someone outside the church might look at this, maybe someone who's struggling to to, uh, pray to God and has been let down by God might say, uh, you can go to the next slide, Daniel. Um, God is absent and not working. See, Chris, this is proof. You believe in a God who you sung sung about was holy and awesome, but he's not working. Look at what is happening to his people. He's absent, he doesn't care about, he's not real, he's secret, He's, he's silenced and he's hidden and he's not active in people's lives. Or maybe some of us would say, it's just because we're not being faithful enough. We're just not obeying enough. We're just not following Jesus closely enough. So yeah, all these bad things are happening just because we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. And while I can see merit to all these things, the question that I want to ask today, if you're taking notes, what if, what if there is something else happening underneath all of that stuff that we can't see what if there is one reason there's many things that are the world's complicated life is complicated what if there's one reason one specific reason one thing that we can't see that is underneath all of the things that are happening in this moment in our church What if there's something else? I believe there's something else. And just a quick confession, uh, I'm not the person that usually thinks about this option that we're going to talk about. And so as I teach, I'm teaching from the authority of God's word. Uh, I'm teaching to myself and preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to us. Um, But before I give the outline, let's just bow your heads with me and let's pray before we jump right into the text. What if there's something else? Father, we, there's people in this room, whether they know it or not, that are on that list. <laughs> they, they, they feel it. They know they're on that list. Or maybe there's something going on in their life that didn't make that list, but they know something difficult is going on in their life, something discouraging. They feel opposition. Something is happening. They've been confused, disappointed, Disoriented, frustrated, trying to figure out what is going on. So God, we uh, we ask for your mercy, your grace, and be able to hear your word, your truth today. Would you give us eyes to see spiritual things? Would you give us ears to hear, and not just take notes and nod and agree? But when we personalize this to our own lives, there are uh, grave consequences and implications to what we're talking about today. And we want to treat it seriously as you treat it seriously. So help us, Lord, to hear, to respond correctly in Jesus' name. If you want to hear from God's word today, would you say amen with me? Amen, amen, amen. Here's the outline today. Three things, three movements. Number one, something we need to realize. There is something uh, that, the, that the Bible tells us that we need to realize to make sense of what is happening in your life and in the life of our church. Something we need to realize, something we need to, uh, someone we need to know, there is someone we need to learn about, and then there's something we need to do. Something we need to realize, someone we need to know, and then something we need to do. Would you do this with me? Would you stand for the reading of God's words in Ephesians chapter 6? Want to make sure you got some blood flowing through you since the heater is on. You might just pass out halfway through the message, so. Ephesians 6. This is Paul writing, and this is the NLT version. This is the end of the letter to Ephesus, and he wrote all about the gospel in the first two, three chapters, and then the last three about how to live out the gospel. And he says this, one final word. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor, so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Wow, it goes on to say, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the gospel so that you will be fully prepared. He ends, in addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Wow, Chris, we're going there. That's a lot to chew on, a lot to handle. And if you're anything like me, like I said earlier, you, your mind might not go to thinking about that reality often. There's two sides that I've experienced. I'm on the other side. Unfortunately, oftentimes I find myself not thinking about this reality often enough, like it's really not existed. I know it's there, but I'm not thinking about it. And then the other side, you might find yourself is that people are infatuated and obsessed with this stuff, and all they talk about everything that is happening is due to this, what Paul is saying. And I believe that is not true, and I believe it's not healthy to be on the side where nothing is connected we don't think about it. We need to find a balance. We need to be uh, as serious as Paul thinks we should be about this. And so there's something that Paul initially wants us to realize about what's going on in your Christian life, if you're a Christian. God wants us to realize that we are living our daily lives in the middle of a spiritual battle that we are fighting in. That's really simple to say. I don't think it takes much to unpack what I'm saying here what Paul is meaning here but I want you to place yourself into this text as a reality because this is this is talking about your life right now not something 2,000 years ago not something for spiritual elites or missionaries this is for your life right now you working a nine-to-five job a tech job you got a kid at home you got a white picket fence everything's going fine a few little hard things in your life this is still your reality your daily life is lived out in the middle of a spiritual battle that you are fighting in. Did you know that? Do you think often that when you're walking around, you are living in a spiritual battle? The text says that you are fighting against something and someone. Do You feel like you're in a fight. You feel like there is things going on around you that you can't control. The opposition you feel, the attacks you experience, the heaviness you carry. Come on, I know you can put yourself on this list. The conflict you deal with, the temptations you encounter, the deception you wrestle with. Any of these sound familiar? Any of these sound recently attacking your life or experiencing anything? Opposition, attacks, heaviness, conflict, temptations, deception. Why is this stuff happening? Why do we feel this? And Paul says, "You need to understand you are in a battle, and because you're in a battle, these things are going to happen." You've seen any kind of war movie you imagine walking out in the no man's land where people are on one side and the other and they're shooting and firing and there's swords and there's guns and everything's happening. You are there. You were not on the couch watching the battle. You're not up in the cush, comfortable seat looking down at the battle. Whether you like it or not, Paul says you are in the battle. And somehow I find that oddly encouraging because it explains why life seems so crazy. I love what J.C. Ryle says. Do you find in your heart of hearts a spiritual struggle? Anyone want to raise their hand if they agree with that? Do you find in the heart of your hearts a spiritual struggle? Anyone a struggle? Yep. Are you conscious conscious of two principles within you, two fighting and opposing desires, contending for the mastery? Do you feel anything of war in your inward man? Yes. Paul says that, I think Romans 7, I do the things I don't want to do, and I can't do the things I want to do. He's talking about an inward battle of the flesh and the spirit, but he's also talking about the conflict that you're dealing with being on a battlefield. Well, let us thank God. What? You want us to thank God for this? Yes, because it is a good sign. It is strongly probable evidence of the great work of sanctification. All true saints are soldiers, A real Christian can be known as much by his inward warfare as by his inward peace. Woo! I love that. A real Christian can be known as much by his inward warfare as his inward peace. We put ourselves on the side of I want inward peace. And if we don't feel peace, we feel like we're messing it up. But maybe the conflict is a sign that you are God's child. I would say the struggle is a sign of your salvation. See, this is helpful to me because whether you're a Christian or not in this room watching online, you are struggling at some point in your life. So you're going to have to make a decision on and, and a, a truth point on where is this coming from? Why is this coming at my way? And the Bible says that you've been transferred to a new kingdom. You were under the rule and authority of Satan. we are talk about that in a moment. He has a kingdom. God has a kingdom. That's why Jesus' first message, the main thing he said in the Gospels was the kingdom of God is here. What does that mean? That there is a different kingdom and he's coming to bring a better kingdom to usher in. And that's why the Bible says the church, uh, the, hell, the, the gates of hell will not, what? Prevail against the church. There is a kingdom coming in, taking ground on another kingdom. You've transferred kingdoms, and so now you're in opposition to Satan. Wow, that's a lot. That's a lot to think. In our modern Western world, talking about devils and demons and and, and Satan just seems silly. Okay, I'll, I'll, yep, and yet I have not found another good reason why everyone is so crazy, and there's so much evil? Why is there so much darkness in this world? Why do we have the propensity to do so much evil? Why is there so much conflict? Because there is a kingdom at war with another kingdom, and you now are not safe from being attacked. You are on a battlefield. Before you're apart part in the enemy's lines, Romans says you are an enemy to God. And when God reconciled you, he brought you into his kingdom. The Bible says in Colossians, he transferred you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. So now you're in a new kingdom. Wake up, hello, watch out. Now there's gonna be darts and arrows flying at you because you chose a different side. The struggle is a sign of your salvation. And I thought about this I think this is where I find comfort. That if you don't realize you're in a battle, you will blame every difficulty either on God, drawing the conclusion that he must not care, on you thinking you must be failing, or on everyone else thinking they are against you. If you don't realize you're in a spiritual battle, when things get rough, you only have two or three options to blame it on. Either God's messing up and he's absent, or he's not powerful, you are messing up and you're not doing things right, or people are your enemies and they're against you. And I want to tell you this morning, what if there's nothing wrong with God, there's nothing wrong with you in the sense of, yes, you're a sinner, but you're not failing, and there's nothing wrong with people, there's an enemy, and you are being attacked. What if that's an option that's viable? What if when things became hard in our life, we didn't jump to, God, where are you? Or to me, look at I failed again. What if we realized an expected conflict? The reason why conflict throws me off so often is because I don't expect it. The reason why difficulty and suffering is so hard is because I don't think it will come. And then when it does, it throws me off. But the Bible says you need to be able to realize. What? Do we realize that we're living on a spiritual battlefield and much of the conflict and opposition we experience is due to this reality. I am not saying that everything in your life that's hard is due to Satan, but I am saying there's more due to Satan in your life that is happening than you realize at any given moment. I know we're scared to give him too uh, too much credit, but I think we often give him way too less credit. We need to give the battle credit and weight because Jesus literally said that he came to destroy the works of the devil. You want to know why Jesus came? He said, I'm coming because I love you. I want to save you. And the way I save you is to destroy the devil who's over you, who's inflicting you with tyranny and slavery and fear and death. So Jesus' main mission, was, I'm going to come. My objective is to destroy the works of the devil. This is serious. It's not peripheral. Number two, something or someone we need to know. Something we need to realize we're in a battle, but there's someone we need to know. He goes on to say this in Ephesians. uh, Verse, I think, 11. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Again, there is a sense that you and I, whether you are doing it or not, like it or not, want to or not, if you're in Christ, you are fighting a battle. And he says you're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. But the point that he's making is there is someone out to get you. This isn't bad luck or karma. Christians don't believe in bad luck or karma. If you think, oh, man, this just happened, it's bad luck, this has happened because the karma, what goes around, comes around. Like, no, that is, that is, that is uh, illogical when we believe in a personal God and a, and, and a, a universe that's filled with him. Karma says it's an impersonal universe. That's not true. We are fighting against someone, which means the attacks are going to be personal. See, if they were general and just karma, then they just kind of come and things are hard. But why do things feel so personal? Why does it feel like the enemy knows us? And knows where to attack us. And knows exactly what lie to say. And exactly what thing to make us break. Why does it feel so personal? Because we have an enemy out to oppose us. I love what Paul says. He says, it's not flesh and blood. So, lest we start looking around and going, I knew it. David Raji's my enemy. Look at him with that smile. Underneath, he can't be always smiling like that. Something is going on. No one smiles like that. Trust me, I've been in the church long enough, I've been a Christian long enough that I have made people out to be my enemies when they are not. Have you ever done so? That person is against me. These people don't like me. And that might be true, all those things might be true that, that that is happening, but Paul is saying we're not fighting against people. Now, here's what you need to understand. While people are not our enemies, the enemy uses people to attack us. Because if that wasn't true, then, like, what's coming out? Like, the sky attacks? No, like, it happens through the world that we live in. So the enemy can use people, but we have to understand there's something happening underneath. It's not a visible fight. It's not a physical battle. There's something behind what we're facing. So when you have opposition with a person... You have to be able to spiritually see through what is happening or just be aware. You might not always know the discernment of what is happening, but you have to be aware there's something underneath the conflict that you are having with somebody. There's an enemy that wants to leverage the conflict you're having with people and turn it for his good and your destruction. This is what he goes on to say. We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. I want you just to see those words. Evil rulers and authorities, unseen world, mighty powers in the dark world, evil spirits in the heavenly places. If your vision of Satan is uh, this red demon with a pitchfork that's kind of harmless, then uh, you have a, um, an unbiblical view of your enemy. He's not just on your shoulder, just like suggesting some things. That's not a, that evil. Suggestions aren't that evil. It can't be. This is evil rulers and authority. What does that mean? That our enemy is Satan and evil spirits, and they are active and unseen. You can't see them. Part of the unseen World, you can't just look around, you can't see that's that's the enemy right there, it's something unseen. But he says they have authority and power. That's wild to me that your enemy has authority and power, it's not, he's not light, he's not, um, he's not harmless. They have authority and power, they are wicked and stand to oppose God and God's people, and they rule this world and work through it. They're spiritual authorities. What happens when you have authority? You're over things. And this is going to be hard for us to unpack, and I'm not trying to do a deep dive on this, so be, we're going to probably do a longer series on this next year. But you need to know uh, that the Bible is very clear um, that we have an enemy who rules this world. I'll get to that in a moment. Look at what First Peter says. Stay alert. Why? Watch out for your great enemy who... The devil, the great enemy, the devil, he prowls around like what? A roaring lion, not a cute puppy. He prowls around like a roaring lion. When's the last time you got in an arena with a roaring lion? Tell me, would you be calm and passive and apathetic if you walked into a zoo and got to hang out in the cave of a roaring lion? No! No! You, you wouldn't. You would not. And I, I don't want this to be like, uh, uh, funny. The metaphor is serious. Peter is saying this out of experience. Your enemy is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Do you see the enemy in that light? Satan, the evil, demonic spirits around us, they are out to devour you, to bring destruction, to oppose the kingdom of God in you and they're roaring around viciously trying to attack. This is what the Bible says. I find so much comfort, but also a little bit of confusion in this. This is a deeper matter. The Bible says that Satan, Jesus even says this, is the God or ruler of this world. We'll get to what God's role in this world is, but don't make any mistake. Paul says it and Jesus says it the God and ruler of this world. This means that he and his evil spirits influence the people, ideologies, and systems of this world. The world is their kingdom and territory. Satan, the evil authoritative spirits, they use this world We talk about world, we're not talking about the physical, like earth. We're talking about the systems of this world, the ideologies of this world. Why has there been so much oppression and racism and injustice in this world? You don't just think it's just people. That's true. We're evil. We have sin. We have responsibility. But there also is Satan who opposes everything God is for. If God's for love and unity, what is Satan for? Division and hatred. So everything God is for, Satan is opposing, and he is ruling. He has authority over this world. And so when you're walking around the world, you see the darkness and the sin. That's why, that's why Jesus says, or Paul says, that the, Satan blinds the minds of the unbelievers to not be able to see the gospel. They are in slavery to Satan, enslaved to Satan. Satan is walking around enslaving people to the deception that he has and the authority that he has. So I say this not to say that you have no power over Satan. We're going to get to that. But you need to understand you're not playing as a cute little fuzzy enemy. Your enemy has power and your enemy can harm you. I don't know how often we're thinking about that. Paul goes on to say we need to be able to stand firm against all The strategies of this enemy, of the devil. That word strategies means cunning methods. Cunning methods. Deceptive strategies. He has strategies. Not just one way to deceive us and to harm us. There are multiple ways that Satan comes in and is attacking us. So here's here's five of them. It's not all of them. I don't think the Bible even lists all of the ways, Uh, but here's five specific ways. I'm not going to explain the scriptures. You can just make sure I'm not making these up. They're in the Bible. Check them. But here's five main ways that I want you to be aware of when it comes to knowing our enemy and how he uses his authority. Number one, Satan is trying to deceive you. Jesus says he's the father of lies. He's been lying since the beginning. He did that in Genesis 3. He does it now. He's trying to deceive you. You need to be aware in a given moment that there are possible lies coming into your mind through people, through whatever has happened, with all the mediums and stuff that are coming in, and you need to be able to check the information and content that's coming in and not just take it. In fact, it's not just, I believe the world has, like, the world has some bad information and God has the truth. No, no, there is an enemy trying to actively deceive you. Not just bad information, trying to deceive you. A good question I ask myself and people that I shepherd, disciple, is what lie are you currently believing right now? I'm under the uh, the assumption that I'm always believing a lie, at least one. That's just natural. It's what lie, any given moment, am I believing about someone or myself that I have to combat with the word of God? Isn't that what Satan did in the wilderness with Jesus? Twisted the truth to deceive and to destroy Jesus. He's trying to deceive you. Watch out for lies. Number two, Satan is tempting you to sin. What happens in the garden? Through deception, through twisting the truth, I want you to walk this way. Look at This is what Satan is doing. He's wanting you to use the good desires God has given you and get the things that God wants you to have in the wrong kind of way. Satan tempted Eve and Adam, Adam and Eve, to get the fruit. They could have already had. They had a whole garden full of fruit. They were already like God. Satan's like, no, but you can be like God if you eat this. Satan was using what God had already given them and said, now go about it a different way. And so what Satan will do is not, I don't think it's just all like this dark seances and witchcraft. That's, that's evil too. But also the go, sex is a great thing, desire that God has given you. Now go about it the way that I tell you, go and sleep with whoever you want to sleep with. There's truth in that that God has given you the desire for sex and is a beautiful thing that glorifies God, but Satan will tempt you to go about it the wrong way, to get the good gift in the wrong way. He's tempting you, to sin, to be away from God's design. Number three, he's trying to harass you. Paul talks about a thorn in his flesh that Satan, one of his messengers sent to attack me and to harass me. Anyone ever feel harassed? Come on, be honest. Anyone? Yeah. It's not your wife, even though she might be Whatever, not your husband, it's not your kids only. There is someone trying to harass you, trying to get under your skin, trying to continually try to jab, the Greek word is like continual jab so that you just get fed up and quit. Satan is trying to harass you in many ways and he can send many different things to do that. Number four, Satan is causing affliction. Peter talks about, the other brothers and sisters in the world that are going under the same affliction that Satan is causing. You look at Job's life, what happens? He had to ask for permission, and we'll get to that in a moment, but he still caused affliction. He took away his family. He caused things to happen. He caused suffering in Job's life. Don't think that Satan cannot do that in your life. Yes, God is sovereign. He will work in that, and he will but you need to understand some of the affliction that you're dealing with, it's not just because we're in a sinful world, is intentionally trying to beat you up over and over so you give up. Pain, affliction, Satan has authority and power in this world and he can use those things. And lastly, Satan is attacking your faith. He's going for your faith. Jesus has this crazy moment at the, at the night before his, uh, the night of his arrest where he says to Peter, Peter Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed so that your faith may not fail. And when you fall, get back up so that you can strengthen your brothers. That's a crazy window in seeing that Satan wants to, why did Jesus pray for his faith not fail? Because Satan was attacking his faith. If you feel like your faith is is, is an attack, like your faith is, is wavering, that people are coming, something's coming at your faith to dwindle down and start doubting and doubting. Look it, I don't want you to be so discouraged you think, oh, I'm just always gonna doubt. No, it's not just because you don't have a strong enough faith, there's also an enemy attacking your faith. Wanting to take away that faith so you don't lock your arms and say, I'm following Jesus, but you will give up and go the world's ways. He's attacking your faith, deceiving you, Tempting you to sin, harassing you, causing affliction, attacking your faith. This is a crazy. Verse in Luke that explains a little bit more into a window of what happens with Satan. He's a, just got done tempting Jesus in the wilderness, and it says this: When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until a more opportune time. Oh, he's coming back but he's coming back in a more opportune time. What does that mean? To take full advantage of or the right moment. you feel like things happen at the right time? Do you feel like sometimes suffering or that doubt or that question or that lie, it comes at the right moment. Like one thing could just make you stumble. One thing can make you sin. One thing can make you fall away. One lie can lodge itself deep into your mind. Why? Satan may be evil, but he is not ignorant. He will attack you at your most vulnerable points in precisely the most strategic moments to take full advantage. He is evil, but he also has a strategy. He left Jesus for a more opportune time. He's coming back. The the evil spirits, the demonic spirits, are coming back to attack you at the right moment because they know what's going on and they know your weakness. at the right moment to take full advantage of. It's important to know your weakness. It's important to know when you're in a weak moment. I know for me, I am more tempted to sin. I'm more tempted to give in to temptation. I'm more tempted to be irritable when I have no sleep. For me, that's just like, I've like almost lost my Christianity, but I don't have sleep. It's not good. Like, I just, it's hard for me to focus on anything. And why is that the moment when Satan drives in all these things? Why does that feel like the barrage is happening? Why? Because Satan knows that's the right moment. That's the opportune time. What is an opportune time to be attacked for you? When are you most vulnerable? You need to be aware of that. We must be aware of that. Now, before I end this section, There's something that we just need to understand uh, that gives us encouragement and clarity on what's happening. While Satan is our enemy and has influence and power, he still needs permission. This is confusing and encouraging. So much of the Bible is that way, confusing and encouraging. While Satan has influence and power, he still needs permission. What happens in Job's life? He loses everything but his wife his health his kids his farm his family everything but who gave him permission to do that who god yeah what did satan do he literally walks into the throne room in heaven and said knocks on a door can i do this satan has power satan is evil he has authority but he's still underneath jesus In Luke twenty two, remember Jesus says Peter, Satan demanded you to sift you like wheat. That Greek word demand means to urgently ask for permission. (laughs) At least Satan's polite. He's asking for permission because he knows he has no jurisdiction over the Christian. He has to ask for permission. Jesus is sovereign over Satan. Jesus has struck a fatal blow to Satan. That's the promise of Genesis 3, that one day there will be a seed that will crush the head of the snake. That has happened through the cross of Jesus. But let me tell you, I just got a vision of this while we were praying this morning, that the victory is done, we have the banner, but we're still walking through the battlefield to get to the other side. And there's still things happening. We have the victory. The blow has been made, but he's still alive, and now he's even more ticked off, and the enemy's more against you. Satan can't defeat us, but he can damage us. I'm not gonna get into this today, but I don't believe a Christian can be possessed because that means the Holy Spirit is weak. The Holy Spirit is not weak. You have the Holy Spirit in you. You are not gonna be possessed By a demon. But you can't be influenced, you can't be tempted, you can't be attacked by a demon, for sure. That's why Paul says to beware and put on the armor so you don't get attacked. That's the assumption, is that you're going to be attacked. But you need to know, you can't be defeated. But if you don't take this seriously, because then you might be like, oh, then what's the thing? Who cares about spiritual warfare if I can't be defeated? Do you want to live a life constantly beat up and constantly damaged? Some of us are doing that. Satan is going after you, whether you, because you're obeying Jesus, you're on the brink of something beautiful, you're following the kingdom, you're influencing people, making disciples, whatever it is. And he wants to stop that at all costs. What do we need to know? We have an enemy that is real, that is evil, and that personally attacks us in order to destroy our faith in Jesus. Church family, I want you to know if you leave today, you need to know you're in a spiritual battle and you have an enemy that knows you, that wants to attack you, that has power to damage you, while you're in Jesus and can't be defeated, you are gonna be under constant attacks because you are now a part of God's kingdom. You need to know that leaving today. I believe much of what is happening, I mean, it's crazy. I can't even tell you some of the stories. Why? Why? When I look through this lens, it makes so much sense. It's not all 100% Satan, but definitely Satan's fingerprints are around and over the things that are happening because we are in a battle. Lastly, something we need to do. We need to realize that we're in a battle. We need to know our enemy, that he's out to get us, and that he has strategies to deceive us. So there's something that we need to do. I'm thankful that Paul has left us with a very clear way to respond. Verse 13, he says it very clearly. Therefore, in light of all this stuff, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in a time of evil. How hopeful is that? Put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time, the time, the moment that he attacks you. There's gonna be moments. Isn't that crazy? Put on God's armor, every piece. We'll get to that. He says, do it before you get attacked. I don't, you've probably never been into a battlefield. I mean, if you have, come talk to me after, but you probably have it. But if you walk into a battle, like in the old days, not like when we we're sending missiles, but actually combat, because the Greek word fighting is the word of wrestling, close to close combat. When you're in that kind of like Roman battle, it's too late to put on armor. Some of us, were feeling attacked and we're trying to scramble to find the armor. It's too, it's too late. It doesn't mean you're going to be defeated, but you are going to be attacked. He says, put it on before so that when the thing comes, you're able to resist. Then after the battle, there's a battle. There's a whole bunch of battles. After the battle, you will be able to stand firm. He says that four times in the passage. Stand firm, not to lose ground. Stand your ground. Putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the gospel so that you will be fully prepared. He closes with, in addition to all of these Hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet. Take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The only offensive weapon, type maybe a shield the block the attacks, is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And he says, put on every piece of God's armor. This is what Paul is saying. We know we're in a spiritual battle which means we need spiritual weapons. If we're fighting against flesh and blood, then we can use physical weapons, but that's not going to work. We can't use physical, worldly tactics. We have to use spiritual tactics because worldly tactics will frustrate us and fail us. I think of uh, what happens when in Mark, there's an example of someone trying to cast out a demon, but they're not doing it in the name of Jesus. And uh, what happens, If it's a really funny story actually, The the dude gets beat up and gets sent butt naked running out of the house. The the, the demon beats him up and embarrasses him. And Jesus is like, this dude was not doing what he needed to do. I find that so funny. I don't know why this is so funny. But he literally, Jesus clearly tells us, you can get whooped. You can get hurt in battle. If you're using the wrong weapons, you'll get embarrassed. If you're using the wrong things, you will be frustrated. He says in the beginning, your only hope is found in God's strength. Be strong in the Lord. Not be strong in yourself. Be strong in the Lord. Put on the armor of God. What is the armor of God? It is simply what Jesus has won for us through the gospel. Do you think with the armor of God, it is what Jesus has won for us through the gospel. Check this out. Jesus is our truth. You know, next slide. Jesus is our truth. He is our peace. He's the truth. We can define reality through Jesus. He is our peace. The Bible says Jesus wants to give us his peace in the midst of anxiety and a struggle. Jesus is our righteousness, which means though you might sin, you are not condemned or guilty because Jesus is your righteousness before the Father. Jesus is the object of our faith. Jesus is the source of our salvation. And Jesus is the word of God. What's the armor of God? It's Jesus and all that he brings us through the gospel. So beautiful. What do I need to do? So there's Jesus and then I got to put on spiritual armor. What does that mean? No, everything goes back to Jesus. How, what spiritual armor? Go back to Jesus. You, you know what i am attempted to say? Like we always say, how how do you do this? Read your Bible, pray, obey Jesus, confess your sin, be in community, worship. Oh, come on, Chris, there has to be, and I'll get to something specific, there has to be a certain way we put on the garment. You know how much time I spent struggling to read other people's writings on how they explain putting on the armor? You know what people said? They never explained it. They just said put on the armor. And I was like, well, how do you put on the armor? Don't you want to know how to put on the armor of God? Because here's what I know about the armor of God. The armor is accessible to every single one of you, but it's not automatic. You have it in Jesus, but it's not automatic. If Paul says put on, the implication is that we can live without it on. There is a conscious decision you have to make. It is not automatic. You're not going to wake up. Let me just tell you, I wish it was like this. You're not going to wake up and the armor just is automatically on when your mind and your life and your affections is not on Jesus but on the world. That, that's not how it works. The Bible is so repeating this idea that you have to put effort forward in your walk with Jesus. You don't wake up and everything's just done for you. The gospel is one for you. Salvation is one for you. And grace is there, but there is effort. Dallas Willard says grace is opposed to earning, but not to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. You can't earn grace, but there's effort in understanding and receiving and, and cherishing grace. You gotta put effort on. And so some of us, I, just, I know because my own life, we're walking around, without the armor on and we're wondering why life is so hard, why our faith is so weak, why sin is so tempting, why relationships can be so difficult, why affliction is so heavy. We're going around saying, this can't be the Christian life. Why is there so much conflict? Why is there so much opposition? One, you're in a spiritual battle. Two, you have an enemy, but there might be the option number three that you haven't put on the armor. Let's just be honest, that's a real option. And so there are things you need to do to put on the armor. So the question is, how do we put it on? I want to know that. Anyone here want to know how to put on the armor of God? I want to know how to put it on. I, I, it's not just Jesus won it for us, but then we're over here. There's a sense of having to do something because Paul wouldn't have said it. And I find it so clear. We're going to end on this and then practice it. I find it so clear. I find it encouraging. I find it uh, compelling and convicting Paul ends the whole section on the armor of God with a very clear admonition. And it's interesting because it seems disconnected, but I believe what Paul says next in the verse is the way to put on and apply all of the armor. This is what Paul says next after explaining all the armor of God. Pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Look at the words he uses, pray in the spirit at all times, not sometimes, all times, and on every occasion, no matter what is happening, you're praying, stay alert, don't be passive, don't be slumbering, stay alert and be persistent, keep at it in your prayers, for who? For every believer, where? In the West Coast, no, for everywhere, that's crazy, all times, every occasion, all believers, everywhere. When someone says those kind of words, we should pay attention. And the thing he's saying is so accessible to us, pray. Pray, you need to put on the armor of God. And how does he end? You need to know that you need to be praying. While I believe there are many ways to put on these pieces of armor, like applying the gospel, meditating on them, reading the word, obeying Jesus, Paul makes it clear that our efforts will not be effective if we do not make prayer a priority. You can study the armor, you can memorize verses about the armor, but if you're not applying it through prayer, I don't believe the armor is effective. Paul wouldn't say this kind of thing about prayer and attaching it if he wasn't serious. Here's the point I wanna make. If we are not actively praying, we are not properly protected. If we are not actively praying, we are not properly protected. If you want to be properly protected from the attacks of the enemy, doesn't mean that you're never going to suffer, but it means that you can. You can minimize the attacks and the effects of the attacks. You can't minimize the attacks. You can minimize the effects of the attacks, and you can stand firm. Paul says, stand firm. If you don't have the armor of God on, the opposite of standing firm is what? Falling down, losing your footing, losing your ground. And so Paul wants you to stand firm. Does anyone here want to stand firm in the kingdom of God? Do you want to stand firm and not be knocked over? I'm tired of getting knocked over. I'm tired of seeing people getting knocked over. I'm tired of seeing people questioning all the things about God. And Paul says, life's not going to be perfect, but you have a way to stand firm. You can't stop the attacks, but you can do something when they come. I want to be a church that's ready when it comes, because sometimes I'm not ready, and it smacks me, and I fall down. You know why? Why? The one, number one reason why I believe I am not ready is because I'm not actively praying like Paul wants me to do. There's no, there's no coincidence why last week Pastor Mike talked about prayer. Uh, this message is about prayer. In January, we're going to have a whole prayer series. We're going to be starting another prayer night on top of our Wednesdays. Uh, He's praying in the church every day through prayer prompts. There's a reason why God is doing this because he knows he's giving us the tools. He's leading us to go deeper into prayer because he knows the attacks that are coming. I love what John Piper says. This is always stuck in me. Mean, I heard this like probably 10 years ago at college and it stuck with me. This is the place of prayer on the battlefield of the world. It is a wartime walkie-talkie, not a domestic intercom to increase the comforts of the saints. Prayer, Paul Piper says, is a wartime walkie-talkie. When you're on the battlefield and you got to talk to the general to have defense or to have an airstrike, you are saying, I need this, I need your help, I need reinforcements. And not, not all prayer is like that, but you have to be able to see prayer as a walkie-talkie, a wartime walkie-talkie, phoning in to the general who has all power to help you in the midst of your struggle and not just the domestic intercom we push to say, can you make my life a little bit easier and take this away? God wants to give you good things and he desires for you to pray and he wants to bless you. And so ask God for things. Ask for your daily bread. That's not wrong. What I'm not saying is don't ask God for those things. What I'm saying is we need to also have the other side where we make prayer like a wartime walkie-talkie. Sometimes people look at prayer meetings like they're the most boring thing in the world and they shouldn't be. Why are they boring? Because of the content of our prayers. I have no problem paying for someone's cat, but I think there's a little bit more important stuff to pray for if we're always praying for those things and never seeing the spiritual attacks that are happening and the things that we need to pray for. So Paul wants us to pray for everything. He says for all, all, all occasions but it's in the context of you having an enemy that is against you and you know his attacks. And I would say the armor of God, the righteousness of Jesus, the truth of Jesus, the peace of the gospel, the salvation of Jesus, the faith, the sword, all of that, you put it on and you apply it to other people through prayer. He says, pray for all believers everywhere. Why? Because all believers everywhere are being attacked by the same enemy. And it's so cool. I can help you fight your battle by me praying for you. And you can do the same thing for me. That's beautiful. So our prayer night tonight, get around, just confess sin, whatever. When we pray, we're asking God to help us stand firm in the midst of a battle. That awakens and aliveness my prayer. I'm not just hunched over, God, do this. No, God, I need you to help me get boldness in this area, to have victory over this area, to apply the gospel in this area. And some of you need to step up your prayer to be a wartime walkie-talkie so you can have the available armor that is made available to you and put it on, apply it to your life. So we're gonna do that right now. I'm not gonna talk about it. We're gonna do it. So our formation moment, prayer moment. One question I want you to do. I want you to confess this clearly and then I want you to pray boldly. Confess clearly, pray boldly. The question I want you to um, talk through is very simple. What is or where are you, next slide, where are you sensing an attack or opposition? Should be the next slide, Daniel. Uh, where are you sensing the attack? Where, right now, you are being attacked. Don't be too like, uh, worried about, am I getting it right? Is this Satan? or? Your job isn't to figure out all that stuff. But where are you sensing and experiencing and discerning opposition or feeling attacked? And I want you to do this. Groups two or three. Pray the armor of God over one another and pray with faith, authority in Jesus' name because he has authority over this and simplicity. You don't need to be long and long-winded, complicated, Can we do that? Where are you being attacked? Where do you feel opposition? Where's the real battle we're in? And then pray. And Chris, I don't know how to pray the armor of God. The armor of God, pray the gospel over someone's mind. Pray that they would believe they're righteous when they're struggling with sin. Pray that they would have the peace of the gospel in their anxiety. Pray the gospel over, you should know the gospel. Pray it over one another in the name of Jesus. I believe these prayers God wants to hear and wants to break and, and break up the attacks that we're feeling in this church. And I do want to say this. I believe all these attacks and someone on the outside actually says to me uh, seeing this. All these attacks Um, I don't believe they're a coincidence. There's something going on underneath, of course, and something I believe we're heading into as a church. I want you to know, even though there's a lot of difficulty happening in our church, there is so much good happening, and there's no reason why we're seeing attacks. Just two weeks ago, we led 60 of you through a rule of life and how to devote and be disciplined in praying and reading more. Do you think the enemy's happy about that? No, people are actually reading their Bibles and praying and having silence and confessing sin. That is taking victory and saying, I'm taking more ground in the kingdom. There's gonna be conflict. So let's be prayed up. So break up in twos and threes. Let's confess where we are, what we're feeling opposed. Let's pray the gospel over one another and then we'll worship and close out. But eight minutes on the clock for that.